Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, get into it. Your host, Paul Cuthbert and Liam McGuire. Slant fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Woohoo! How's it going there, Seamus? Thank you so much for that introduction. As always, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard Sticks and Taps. Friday, May 15th edition. Paul Cuthbert, yours truly down here in the great state of New York. And ladies and gentlemen, please, a big welcome to my friend and yours up in the great white north in the city of Ottawa, Mr. Liam McGuire. How is she going? I don't know, Liam, because I don't know her. What's her name? How is she going? How is she going? <laughs> you don't know her? I'll give you lots of names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. Get up there. Oh, that's Seamus. He's a good lad. That's Seamus. How is he going, Seamus? Curbside pickup for the pints. I think he's also got that. He's got a few drones that he sends some points out. You see that story there? Yeah. Yeah, I saw you tag me on Twitter on that. That was was awesome. I was wondering (laughs) if they could get here to Osgoode, Ontario. It would be great. I'm staring at a uh, a growing pile of Molson X uh, boxes. (laughs) <laughs> uh, full of empties because our local store here um, hasn't been given the green light. Now, as I understand it, possibly has has of yesterday, and I only heard this this morning, that they might be taking our empties back. So reminiscent of the old days when I lived at a place we nicknamed the ranch, and we used to take the empties back once a month, and they uh, we'd have to phone the beer store ahead of time. We'd take them to the loading dock and put them on a, put them on the pallets and load them up rather than go through the front door and tie up the whole building for uh for 30 minutes so you know because we always had two three hundred dollars worth of empties and you know we take that money and uh use it to pay the heat and hydro bill for the month so it was um it was a good little good little system we had good so what do you say you got a few thousand dollars piled up there now (laughs) (laughs) well i am living with a man named peter oliver who's no stranger to a 9 30 a.m pint you know what i'm saying <laughs> Breakfast of champions, my friend. It is all good. Well, I'm just glad they finally found a use for the Irish Air Force over there back home. With yeah. These, with these yeah. drones. Absolutely. <laughs> Captain Absolutely. Paddy O'Leary coming down your block now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. A few points again. Let's put a couple of caps on them. <laughs> yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. Oh, it was a classic story. Classic. So how you doing, mate? What's going on? Uh, you know, the, everybody's safe. Everybody healthy up there by you. Everybody's good up here, Paulie. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, whether it be the tight-knit circle, family and friends, as I said, my roomie and myself and uh, our families, everybody's everybody's safe and uh, everybody's COVID healthy and um, no no problems there. I, I, I talked to my mom today and and um, the residents where she's at, they're, they're now allowing the uh, uh, curbside visits. So you book a time. And you can uh, drive your vehicle around back and your uh, desired person to visit, which in this case will be my 89-year-old mother. I can, she, she has to stay 10 feet away, but I can roll my window down and we can have a 20-minute conversation. <laughs> but you got to book it ahead. So it's, um, I talked to her today, so we think in a week or two if uh, restrictions still have an ease and, and that is still the only way, then we'll probably... Uh, We'll probably try and do that, but um, but otherwise, uh, not one single case reported in her home yet. Thank God, and uh, so her and her uh, her 
partner there um, are uh, are so far uh, healthy from all that stuff, as is everybody in her dwelling. And uh, and here we are. We're all we're all good, Paulie. How about you? Good. We're all good. Do me a favor, though. Next time you swing in there, right, just for a laugh, bring a basket yeah. of laundry for her. See see how she reacts. <laughs> Yeah, it always reminds me of the time, uh, probably the worst the worst brawl I was ever in in my life, and I wasn't in many, but uh, boy, we were badly overmatched. It was around November of 84, and I had a beautiful white sweater on, Canadian University Hockey Championship sweater given to me by, by Don Cherry two years earlier at the Canadian Collegiate Championships where I was the, uh, the in-house uh, PA. And our our team, our school team, were the hosts, and so I was I was pulling like double and triple duty for the weekend or the four days, whatever it was. Anyway, I wore this sweater out. There was a bar here in Ottawa. It's called Wet Your Whistle. We had another nickname for it, not very flattering, but uh, <laughs> it was a uh, it was a place to congregate on Thursday nights. But it was it, very early on. It was very rough and. Uh, uh, we got caught in a vortex there one night in the middle of um, of a lot of fists and uh, and boots, and there was a lot of blood on the sweater. Sadly, most of it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> and when I finally did make it home that night, hours later, and and uh, my mom saw it the next morning. <laughs> she said, "What? The, where's the cut? <laughs> you must be badly cut somewhere." And I said, uh, I call my mom Sa, short for Sarah. And I said, Sa, do you, do you think you can get the blood out of this? And she said, Well, I don't know, Liam. <laughs> and she tried like hell, and it was just no way. Couldn't couldn't get the blood out of it, no matter what she did. So I had to toss it. So I could bring her back maybe a white sweater and said, Look, you failed miserably in '84. What do you got for me today? That'd <laughs> be great to see her reaction. See if she'd remember that, huh? <laughs> Oh, she remembers. We talk about it on occasion. So, do you remember? You remember that white sweater? Yes, Leo. Yes, <laughs> remember. Oh man, good stuff. Oh, well, yeah. Wish you well for uh, for all from all of us down here. And same thing, we're we're doing good here as well too. Um, New York's looking good here, slowly but surely getting back. The numbers are dropping, and uh, you know they're easing yeah. some of the restrictions. So, a little storm of uh, all I can say is, uh, and we've talked about this, is that the the weather's getting nice, so it gives a chance to everybody to get out there and get some exercise and and all. Well, that I'm supposed to stuff. golf tomorrow, brother. Yeah, man, I'm a little jealous of that, man. I mean, uh, I know the courses are out here too, but Jesus, I mean, I think if I went out in a golf course right now, they'd arrest me for wrecking the greens. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to be too pretty. Get him out of here. <laughs> He's ruining for everybody else. I can't even imagine what that first swing's going to look like, but uh, but I I am excited, uh, you know, to put to get out. I'm a member at a course up here. It's a big part of my life in the summer, and obviously we've lost a whole month here. So, um, well, no, not quite, but several weeks anyway. And it's uh, you know, uh, it's obviously such such trying circumstances. So we are, uh, you know, we got a word from Doug Ford, the premier of the province, yesterday that. One of the many things where restrictions are being eased and and uh, and and things are going to be allowed to happen are golf courses. So uh, so we're excited and uh, we'll see how it goes. See Good how it stuff. goes. There are some restrictions. You know, we won't be able to touch the pins and one person to a cart if you do take one, that sort of thing. But uh, but we'll. Uh, We'll give her a rip, Paulie, and see how it goes. It's a start, man. It's a start, man. It's good stuff. 
Yeah. It's all good stuff, man. Show us, send us a, you know, <laughs> post a tweet to your scorecard. Let's see how your first outing is. <laughs> That'll be the message. Well, you know, the you know what the they way. said? You know what they said? One of the one of the things that they said is that their preference would be that we if we do want to, you know, if we're going out here, they understand a lot of people are in the same boat as me, having swung a club. Like a lot of guys do get away in the winter and play. And of course, people were doing that up until travel restrictions became became the 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 norm so people had still gotten away and played a lot of a lot of the guys do i don't as do many others don't and uh what they said is look at if you're adamant about keeping score we prefer if you do it on your phone so you're not handling anything they don't want us to handle anything you know don't even reach in and say if you really need a scorecard we have a little loot bag for you that you know we'll have a few t's and and a, and a ball marker and and a, and a scorecard, but we'd rather you just go to the tee, hit your ball, take your pull cart, or if you got to get a cart, get a cart and just drive away or walk away. Don't touch the pins, don't touch the rakes and the bunkers, and and uh, they won't be there. They're gonna they've, they've all been removed, so you just go in, hit, move your ball around, but play out of the bunker, but you don't have to worry about raking or anything. And uh, so it's it's you know I don't know, Polly. I guess we'll just see what the hell goes on. There'll, there'll be loads of cheating. Loads of cheating, no doubt about it. Well, you can't <laughs> cheat at a private course. You get run out on the rails. Run out on oh, the rails if you I'm got a sure. private track, man. I'm sure they found a way. Some of you lads. Well, some pe- <laughs> some people would, but not 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 uh, not the group I play with, man. You're playing for cash. <laughs> you get caught cheating. You get absolutely run right out of dodge, and I ain't kidding you. <laughs> No, no, it's uh, it's uh, you. If you're gonna shoot 110, you just mark your 110 and try and be 109 tomorrow. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just you can't, you cannot, uh, you cannot cheat in those games where you're playing because in a lot of cases they're partner games too. So you're, you're really, uh, no, you can't. Uh, I know it's yeah, it's a thing to do. You know, the old foot wedge and uh, you, you forget, uh, you know, people knock the common one for. The uh, green fee golfers, you knock a ball out of bounds and you just walk down and drop it and just you're lying two there when really you should hit three off the tee. Probably the most common mistake, not mistake, but the most common form of of not having an accurate score in golf would be that. Next to, you know, just the obvious one where you're, you know, when you got a seven or you got an eight and you say you got a seven or a six, that type of thing, right? So, <laughs> but uh that cannot happen in our games, brother, believe me. <laughs> it was never really a problem for me, Liam, because usually by the seventh hole, I was so far behind, they just stopped taking score anymore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We have a great tradition on the, myself and a couple of the guys that no matter when we play and uh, we put in for an early time tomorrow, we don't know what we're going to get because it's a lottery. It's being done today, probably as we speak, actually. And... Uh, uh, we always wait to have our first drink till we get to the third tee. It's sort of uh, the course we play at. The first two holes kind of go due west away from the uh, pro shop area. And the first hole that kind of turns back toward the middle of the course or the club, if you will, is number three. And so when we get to three tee, it's sort of an inside thing. That's when we have our first shot. And uh, myself and a couple other fellas, we always have a flask and of course, I have Jameson's Irish whiskey, and uh, and we take a we take a shot, and uh, it's man, I'll tell you what. If you got a nice summer day, and you're playing with your buds, and the, I'll tell you, everything in the world can just disappear for those few minutes as you're standing there uh, taking a shot of whiskey before you hit your tee shot on three, and it's uh, it is it is a really really 
special part of the summer for me. It has been for a long time. I really enjoy it. Uh, you just kind of can just forget about everything for a little bit. And uh, it sure is uh, sure is a good feeling, especially a especially nothing like a shot of whiskey in the morning. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Goes great with your snap, crackle, and pop. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I love a shot of whiskey in the morning, man. It's just the uh, best. Well, look, man, I hope you guys get the game in tomorrow and have a great time more than anything. Just enjoy the day and being outside. And yeah. Out, outside is the main thing right now. And speaking of golf, if we were playing real hockey, uh, a couple things we should touch on here today. Uh, like I said, uh, there would be about 15 teams that wouldn't be playing hockey, even if there was hockey. But real quickly, um, obviously the, the, the talk about any sports coming back is still going on. Don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, I'll, again, I've been watching the music industry here too, and all the major stadium tours and the arena tours are canceled for the rest of the year. Uh, one or two are left, but they're going to follow suit. Uh, just to pick one out here, Kenny Chesney does uh, football stadiums uh, every other summer pretty much, and he held on to the last minute, and he officially announced it, I think it was two days ago, uh, and they postponed everything till, uh, you know next year, next summer of 2021. And a lot of us in the music industry pretty much feel that um, – you know, it, it, nothing's coming back on a big scale like that. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, again, we're talking about football stadiums. We're talking about arenas. Uh, these are concerts, logistics. Uh, there's still not enough time. There's so many elements of how this is going to work. You know, if you just break it down from a, from a band standpoint to the road crew, to the management team, to these, you know, one person gets tested positive, two people, you know, you, you, then everybody has – so – it, you kind of kind of look at the big picture where they're making all these decisions because without a vaccine, without testing, with the fact that you have to quarantine people if you do test positive, all the repercussions of one or two people that are part of a, uh, a you know, uh, let's like say a music production like this and or a sports thing leads to the, the bigger picture of, of all the headaches that if you do try and relaunch and come back. So with using the... Uh, the music industry model right now, as it looks to with sports, and obviously the talk about you know not having fans and everything, but just the team aspect. But I personally, and I know me and you've talked about it, and I don't want to rail on it too long here because we'll, we'll know when it happens or it doesn't happen. But the American Hockey League, you know, canceled their season uh, on Monday. And just, and I want to throw this back and forth with you just a little bit on this. If a minor league hockey team, if the minor league shuts down, how does the NHL, how would they even go forward without having their minor league affiliation? Now, again, forgive me, I don't remember what the parameters and the rules are. Say uh, a playoff season was underway under normal circumstances, when the rosters get cut off or whatever. Like if a player goes down, if, if you know, I'm looking at the scenario that if, if a guy goes down, can they pull from the AHL roster to replace him in the playoffs? I can't remember. Liam, so my first question is, your take on the AHL canceling, uh, how that re- uh, reflects to the NHL possibly coming back, and if they would, um, how would they operate without their minor league uh, support system if they were? Well, the AHL canceling to me was a no-brainer because it's a gate-driven league almost solely other than some corporate sponsors locally in gotcha. much smaller cities in North America, and I think they had no choice. And uh, David Andrews, who was the outgoing commissioner or president of the American Hockey League, uh, was on our local radio here in Ottawa. I know he's been barnstorming, doing media hits, and he explained, really, there just really was no choice for them. And and I totally get that, and... and uh, uh, that's unfortunate as it is for any, any, all levels of hockey that have been shut down is for, 
uh, you know, for all the all the obvious reasons. So that's why they shut down. In regards to the NHL, what happens come playoff time is every team is allowed to expand their roster. And I believe it's up to as many as 26 or 27 names, bodies uh, you can have named to your roster that you can draw from at any time during what would be, say, a normal playoff. Now, all bets are off as to how they handle this going forward. I mean, even as recently as 48 hours ago, Gary Bettman was still saying he has not yet ruled out fully completing the regular season, which is just ridiculous. But it seems to be that they're not willing just yet as of the middle of May to rule that out. I mean, it's still such a fluid situation pandemic wise that it's 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 an unknown I guess at this point that said they can expand the roster and I am assuming they would do that whether they played regular season games or not and went right into a playoff the other thing I'm sure is as you would have seen as we all did in the last 24 to 48 hours is they're looking at potentially allegedly looking at potentially as has one or two or three places as hubs now we we heard this a few weeks back when North Dakota was mentioned and and I think even Montana or some of the remote locations where there's been little or no sign of COVID and you could possibly do something there vis-a-vis getting a large group of men collected together in some way, shape or form where there was still safety first and play these play these games, which would be whether it's regular season and or playoff and at least complete something to award at Stanley Cup in the calendar year 2020. I just don't know. Like you just touched on it, everything that's been canceled through the summer already, uh, not postponed, but canceled. And the other thing I was reading is just the average number of people, including players that would be needed in any type of arena, large or small, to complete a game, because keep in mind, the only reason, only singular reason that they would be doing this would be to recoup at least some TV money. It's not about definitively having 20 names on a Stanley Cup for 2020. It's about money. Yeah. It's about recouping some of the money. And 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 I don't know. Uh, they said it would be at least 300 people necessary, absolutely essential to have in the building. So, and you think of it from a testing point of view, and then we've all been, the last time you, because we've been sort of focused on these stories and going back in the day, if you will, these last few weeks, the last time you and I kind of went down this road, three, four weeks ago, you know, I think the biggest thing that came out of our conversation at that time, Paulie, that a lot of people are probably wondering is, what if the players don't want to (laughs) go? Like the players have said, well, look, I don't really know if I want to be quarantined. Uh, away from my family for four or five weeks or six weeks just to either, you know, I I mean, everybody wants to win the cup. And if they go to some sort of sprint here to get it done, I think there's an appetite for it. But at what cost? At what cost in in reality, timeline wise and execution wise, are people going to have to, to do to perform to get this done? And then how can you alleviate any concerns for health? health safety so I really don't know man I just I felt I thought it was important enough for you and I sort of to maybe take one shot with this across the 
across the net, uh, if you will, and, uh, and, and just have a, a comment on it because it has been front and center in the last 48 hours. And as much as I'm excited as anybody to see some hockey played, and I still think there's a possibility that that could happen. Because I, I really think, Paulie, and I'll ask you this. I'll finish here and throw this back to you. And then we can move on from here if you'd like. But I, I really think that there is an internal... Not only is there an internal appetite to play, but that they don't care when it is. I think they know that for every person that says, I would never watch an NHL game under any under any type of, uh, whether it's a regular season game or a Stanley Cup final game in July or August, I think for every person that says that, there's 10 that says, bring it on. I absolutely, I would watch it. That's just my gut feel. And I think the NHL are saying, hey, look, we get the green light to play in August. Let's just say hypothetically, and and we've 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 canceled the regular season. We've made some sort of amendment. We know what we're going to do with the draft. We've already presented the awards. We, you know there'll be at a banquet or you know do the Vegas thing down the road or whatever. But we know who the awards winners are. Now we're gonna now we're gonna do a playoff and we're gonna start it August first and it's gonna be done on uh, September fifteenth and and we're you know I mean let's just say hypothetically. I, I think there's an appetite from fans, and I think the NHL are saying, yeah, if we get the green light, we're doing it. And that's why I think right now on May 15th, they're not writing anything off. I, for one, would watch, and over to you to see what uh, you think on those two points. Either A, would you watch those games, and B, uh, do, you, do you think that, uh, that the NHL have that same desire and appetite to play, even if there is not another puck dropped officially until say August, do you think they would do it? I do. Uh, I guess to me, whether or not they're going to do it or not, I guess is is one argument. And like I said, if I'm a fan, I'm either going to tune in, yes, or I'm not going to tune in. Yeah, most likely going to tune. And I think uh, the NHL down here in, the, in in America anyway has always been struggling for for ratings and stuff. I think it'll take a massive plummet if it was done in the summer. The diehards are going to tune in one way or the other. To me, all the scenarios and everything else as far as where they play the game, fans or no fans, TV, no TV, pay-per-view, all that stuff, and it gets back to like what you were saying about with the players. And again, reading the reports on the music industry because it's the same thing, and this is the thing too. And, and I'm totally agreeing with you. This is all about money. They're, they're going to do this one way or the other – pretty much for money. And then there's the, you know, you can watch what's going on in the NBA. And I think more than anything, you know, watch what happens with the NFL in the fall. I mean, they're, they're promoting the schedules. They think they're going, you know, full bar. You, you talk about 300 to, to pull off an NHL game. Uh, that's two or three times as much just to make an NFL uh, game happen. And think of how many, Oh people, yeah. How, yeah. Think of how many people are on the sidelines, you know, alone, just for, if you, if you have a look, remember looking at a football game, you look on the team sidelines. It's like, it's a small city on the sidelines just for operations. Yeah, you're right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and then the guys up in the boots and all that other stuff. That's another story. I, I think more than anything, and this is, like I said, it's it's I think it's just the reality or the common sense of the fact that the biggest thing that all of these guys have to think about, and I know publicly they have to be out there and saying, hey, we're going to try and do this, we're going to try and get this in, and they'll talk about the different ways the game can be played to get to the end of a regular season or a baseball season start or whatever the heck it is. But you have to believe behind the scenes, the same way these guys are 
canceling stadium shows when they're losing tons of money or whatever, at least postponed to next year, is is the liability aspect and the ability to test and maintain. Now, here's one example I'll put on this, and we'll wrap this up and we'll go forward and take it. The Premier Lacrosse League is a league that started here last year, right? Now, the Premier Lacrosse League is a small, independent uh, they work with NBC last year. They did it last summer. They played, and the guy I was watching an interview with the guys. Now they've got this plan. They've got a COVID doctor, a t- dedicated staff. Guys will have to be tested, you know, the day before, the day of. Now that's just a small independent lacrosse team trying to make those operations and the costs that will be involved if you just take a national, a professional national hockey league team. And, yes, you have to get past the players and all those other things you said. Are they going to leave their families? The quarantine, all those things that that have to be in place before. If they all say yes, there has to be a contingency plan and a liability plan in place because if there's a game on Wednesday night and they do testing on the day before or whatever and one guy gets positive, I believe the CDC protocol that everybody that's in contact with that individual has to go into 14-day quarantine. So if you're, let's say you're doing a 15-game league or whatever the heck it is, and you're into game six and things are going okay so far, and the Blackhawks have to pull out because their whole their equipment guy went down or something, I mean, that's to me, I don't no. see how any entity would be willing to take that chance. And I think this gets back to just general society, what's going on with government states making their decisions here. One wrong step, and you're you're back to the beginning. So that's how I look at it. I'm I'm a you know me and you are huge sports fans, huge hockey guys. We're we're both in the crowd business. I you know I I I want to play live. I want to get in front of people. There's nothing like it. I I don't want to be you know as a musician staring into a camera and looking into a Facebook's box. It's not me. Me is interaction, seeing crowds and people's reactions and singing along and all that stuff. Same thing with hockey, but. I, I, I know that I can't do that until it's safe. And even for me to go out and make a dollar when this thing gets back to normal one way or the other, I have to look in at my wife and my daughter, you know, my kids, to see if I want to put myself on that chance. Because if somebody else in whatever theater that I go into, if you're in that and you're part of that tracing thing, everybody has to, I believe, has to go into a 14-day quarantine. And right now, I just don't think with the way everything is, no vaccine, the testing and all that stuff, I just don't think it's it's an entirely um, – I, I just don't think everybody ha- – there's not a system in place, Liam, right now where it kind of covers everybody. And I think until you get something where something's covered uh, – and this – again, we're dealing with a, a virus. This is not like, you know, people, you know, we go to games and things happen to people every day, every day of our life that we've been living up until now, right? But this is different because, unfortunately, one person can affect everybody. You know, they opened, they reopened up in South Korea there a couple of weeks, uh, a couple months ago. They opened up the entertainment industry, and uh, they had to shut it back down again. And now they're trying to find between 3,000 and 5,000 people that were in this area after a couple of cases come out. So that, to me, is the logistic nightmare of it. And I know for a fact the live music industry – They've sat down and they said they can't, they couldn't even consider operating because they don't have a contingency plan, especially for arenas, um, you know, just the staff, all that other stuff. So that's a long way for me to answer that. 
I would I would watch anything. I'm I'm with you. But I just don't think it's realistic, and especially, you know, if you're a business owner and you have employees and you're the NHL and the players' union and kids and family and travel and everything else, and then the money aspect of it, I just don't know how they're going to do it, pal. I really don't. And I don't know what's wrong with waiting until next year. And I guess, again, it's the money. <coughs> money, money drives the money. Money ultimately drives the bus, but uh, but every every point you make, everything you say makes a hundred percent sense, and I think that's why it's still a, a very fluid situation and a greatly an unknown situation. But I know I know where the appetite lies, and I guess my point is, um, you know, I I'd watch. I guess if they if they do play hockey at all again at some point before the snow flies in twenty twenty, I would watch. I don't care when it is. It could be. It could be, uh, you know, a uh, hundred degrees out. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll still watch. And the second thing is, I think the NHL really do believe that they would capture enough of an audience because we'd be so starved if they did get a green light. They would probably in and around the same time as other sports would. I would assume, even though different schedules, you know, as you say, the NFL, what, what not, not worrying about it as much as say hockey is trying to figure out if they can get a Stanley Cup awarded in 2020 or not, but. I just think that uh, the end of the day, um, you know, I think the NHL knows they've got a captured audience that will watch. And if they can pull it off, they will do it because of financials, because it would mean for TV money. And they've got a fan in me and I think many others who would watch as well. But the rest of it, buddy, ah, ah, we're just pissing into the wind, speculating, right? That's all we're doing. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a sip here and let's move on. And uh, what do you got for us today, pal? I know... um, I wasn't in on it, but you, you mentioned some stuff went on with the um, some reports in the Athletic about what the, maybe the Hockey Hall of Fame or something. But why don't you fill me in and uh, and everybody else uh, that's listening? What's going on, man? Yeah, it, it uh, yeah for sure. Well, it's it's just that uh, you know, Polly, on different times since you and I have hooked up, I've I've informed you and uh, regaled you of my uh, campaign to see Paul Henderson inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yep. I lobbied uh, extensively for twenty years. Uh, not every single year, but I probably took in that 20-year run about seven or eight pretty significant uh, forays into trying to uh, form various submissions, put them in press conferences, videos, uh, social media, made it on Hockey Night in Canada talking about it the whole the whole nine yards, and and took my last shot last year, and and uh, and and this year said that's it. You know, I I did everything I could. I know he's blackballed. He's never going to get in. Well. Yesterday, <laughs> Scott Burnside of The Athletic, The Athletic being the one of the pay sites uh, covering every single sport with hundreds of reporters and, and, and media people that are now uh, employed there. And Scott Burnside is, is an excellent writer and was employed as a writer most of his professional career. And, and then as now, as many of them have, has ended up at The Athletic. And in an interview with Wayne Gretzky yesterday... And many people in the last week have been interviewing Wayne because the 87 Canada Cup featuring by most accounts, myself included, the three greatest games ever played in one series, the final of the 87 Canada Cup between Canada and Russia, all three games 6-5, two of them in overtime, one in double OT, then the winner coming with a buck 26 to go in the third game from Mario Lemieux and a pass from Wayne. Um, that Wayne's been front and center doing a lot of interviews and for whatever reason yesterday with Scott Burnside he comes flying out of the gate saying and of course I didn't see this this is written down but even could tell the way Scott was writing it he was taken aback 
because he kind of wrote that in the story. And, and Kadaskin about Wayne about 87, and Wayne said, first of all, before we talk about 87, I want to talk about 72. 72 stands alone. There's 72, and then there's everything else. It's 72 first. That's the one. That month of hockey, those eight games, that is what had the impact on the game. And it is ridiculous that Paul Henderson is not in the Hall of Fame. He just teed off. Wow. He teed off. I was going, Jesus, where was this 14 months ago when I was putting this submission together? I, I reached out to Wayne. I went through his agent and everything. I wanted to include a quote from him, anything, a video, anything, and include it in the submission. And I had a very, very, I thought, a fantastic submission last year, all shot during a, uh, the um, the recalling of uh, of uh, the Canadian Parliament after after Christmas of, of 2019 on January 28th, which happened to be Paul Henderson's 76th birthday. So I had him flowing in from Toronto, first class, limoed around a uh, five-star hotel with his wife for the day and absolutely feted to the highest degree by every single um, uh uh, every single party in Canada acknowledged him, and we and we got it all on video. And I put that all in with a submission. And I had, had Wayne's comments. I don't know, just would have been icing on the cake. I couldn't have done any better. And as we all know, he didn't get in. But I just thought, um, hey, you know, we got a hockey show here. We talk hockey. That was one of the most significant uh, events in the last 24 hours. Was Wayne's comments? He's never spoken out. You know, he, he said, "I'll just finish on this, Paulie." He, he said that, you know, 25 years ago, I, I didn't really look at it the same way. You know, uh, he, he said I, I was I was still playing. You know, I was finishing up my career. I was with the Rangers and, and just sort of, you know, finishing up my career, still concentrating on playing. I know what I had done in, in, uh, in the game and, you know, internationally and whatnot. But I, I just I didn't really feel it the same way. But, you know, as I sit here today, uh, 20 years uh 21 years retired, and and I I just think it's ridiculous that these guys are going in that never played in the NHL, and clearly he's referring to Nedimansky last year and Yakushev the year before. I think that those are the two that are, that have irked me here, especially in light of the campaigns that I've run. And I know there's some people out there say, well, wait a minute, Yakushev was all that in a bag of chips, and Vaclav Nedimansky was a pioneer coming over from what was then Czechoslovakia, and I don't give a sweet GD. I I mean, that's just ridiculous, ridiculous to me that you're putting those guys in the hall ahead of Paul Henderson. Yakushev, another member of the losing team in 72. How many more? How many more? That's the third player now. How many more? Paul didn't just score one goal. He scored the last three game-winning goals in game six, seven, and eight. Game seven with 206 to play in a four-on-four. Beat every Russian on the ice, roofed it over Tretiak. And then in game eight with 34 seconds to go, he scored seven goals in eight games. He tied Yakashev and Phil Esposito. He more than meets the criteria. That's the other thing, Paulie. Anybody listening right now that, ha- that maybe has got a really strong opinion on it, let's say negatively, as many do. I mean, Paul is still liked by the majority of people as a guy who should be included. When I say the majority, I'm talking either 50 plus one or caught what you will. It typically falls in around 70% of hockey fans that uh, think he should be in. Uh, that, that still means it's a healthy 30, 30 plus. 
that are really adamant that he shouldn't be in. Having said that, I would challenge every single one of them and ask them, have they ever gone on the Hockey Hall of Fame website and seen the criteria of what's what it actually says to be inducted into the hall? Because I guarantee you, Paulie, that 99% of all hockey fans have never done that. They have no idea. It doesn't say anything about winning the Stanley Cup. It doesn't say anything about scoring 1,000 points. It doesn't say anything about 500 goals. It doesn't say anything about 50-goal seasons. It doesn't say anything about playing 20 years. You know, it's it's got a very um, succinct, drawn-out series of, of criteria that for, for induction in the hall. And Paul meets it all to the letter. And uh, and for Wayne Gretzky to come out yesterday and say that, many people feel the greatest player of all time. If he, if you don't think Wayne is, then you've got him in the two or three hole at the lowest. If not, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know how you have him any lower. And he's definitely the great, greatest offensive force, arguably in sports, definitely in hockey, and uh, beyond reproach in terms of what he did on the ice, let's be honest. And especially even in international hockey, what he did in international hockey, uh, not only as a player, but as a manager for various team candidates that won not only Olympic gold, but then the World Cup in 2004 and Olympic gold in 2002. So let alone what he did as a player. So I think we don't have to belabor the point that for this man to speak out like he did was pretty significant uh, last 24 hours here in Canada. So I thought I'd bring that to the attention here, sticks and taps and, uh, and just kind of roll that out there, brother. I know you and I have discussed it many times before. Well, let me, and, ask, uh, let me ask you a question then. With all the time, and I know how much time you've invested in this, and Wayne's silence about this over the years, what what do you, because obviously you've, you've walked up to the door, the big doors, and you've banged as loud as you could. Yep. And for all of us, say, <laughs> down here in the States who, who aren't familiar with him, or everybody down here probably wouldn't really, and this is not an, a knock to anything, but, you know, the average sports fan or even the average hockey fan, it might not really be concerned about this one way or the other. But what do you feel is the underlying reason that he hasn't been put in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Now, if I have to use a comparison, say, and it might be the wrong comparison, but maybe a guy like Pete Rose, because of his, obviously, his off-the-field antics, that's why he's not in, blah, blah, blah. Paul yep. Henderson, obviously, uh, didn't do anything illegal or didn't have a, a bad rep off the ice. But that guy kind of goes to where maybe a guy, that's a simple reason why a guy is not going to get inducted into the Hall of Fame one way or the other. And rules are rules, lifetime ban, blah, blah, blah. What do you feel, or, or, or can you even figure it out, or do you know the obvious reason why he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's blackballed, but I uh, before but I go he, there... But why is he blackballed? I'm, like, I'm going to tell you. Okay. I'm going to tell you. I'll tell you exactly why. But before I go there, um, either yourself or any of our uh, loyal listeners, do you think that when they announced in the players' category last year, Vaclav Nedimansky, what did that mean to anybody? Nothing. Not to me. Not a damn thing, right? No. Not a damn thing. I bet you there was maybe 5% of hockey fans, people who follow the NHL right now today, even maybe could say that the name sounded familiar. What about the year before? Alexander Yakushev. Never heard of him. Did it register with you at all? No. No, not one bit. 
Not one single bit. So you know what? The fact that the majority, regardless of it's south of the 49th or in the depths of Sweden and Finland and Denmark, that maybe have no clue who Paul Henderson is, who cares? They don't care. They're putting in guys that nobody's even heard of that have been retired from the game for 40, 50 years anyway in the players category. Who cares? I mean, they don't care. So why should we, you know? And and uh, so that's definitely not a reason, obviously, because they're putting in guys that nobody's even heard of. And Backlab Nedimansky won a cup. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> such a, Paul, Paul Henderson is blackballed for these it's, reasons. It's, it's not his fault, right? <laughs> it's not Henderson's fault. That's for sure. And it's not Nedimansky's fault. That's he what just I'm played saying. the yeah. game. Yeah. yeah no, he saying. just played the game. And if you yeah. saw his speech last year. Um, you know, first of all, it was funny as hell because he uh, he forgot to say a couple things and and uh, he actually gave a good speech. And by all accounts, I've never met him, but by all accounts, uh, super nice guy. And and I know, you know, in his prime, such as it was uh, playing overseas as a younger man in international hockey. But uh, I mean, Paulie, if anybody's even willing to do 10 or 15 minutes of research to understand how inferior that level of hockey was in Russia and Sweden and then Czechoslovakia in the 1960s and 1970s. Are you saying that this was even remotely close to on par with the National Hockey League where Paul Henderson was playing in Stanley Cup finals? Paul Henderson is playing with Gordie Howe and and with Alex Delvecchio. And, and playing against Jean Beliveau and Henri Richard and Yvonne Cornway and, and, and Dave Keon and Frank Mahovlich. He's playing against these guys and then later with these guys. And that's even remotely close to what Yakashev and Nedimansky were well, going through. But see, that's, I mean, the, that's the puzzling thing to a guy like me. I don't understand it. I mean, nobody does. You know why? Look, let's put the let's just say it what it is. We're on a podcast here. We're not on NBC or Hockey Night in Canada. We don't have to worry about being politically correct and hold each other's hand and sing kumbaya. <laughs> it's being politically correct. That's what it is. It's a bunch of it's a, it's a gutless it's it's a gutless mission statement that has that has taken over not only the selection committee in this case, but it's permeated a lot of what goes on in the world today. We've got to be politically correct. You've got to be all inclusive. You've got to bring everybody in. Make sure you got the enough foreigners in. Make sure you got enough East Block, former East Block in. Yeah, we have to start the women's category. Make sure they're in. That's fine. That's fine. Go ahead. You know, and 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 let's make sure. But don't don't take care of somebody who scored. The most significant, most impactful goal in the history of the sport globally. Globally, the most impactful goal. No, no. Let's find another way to get another former East block in. Yeah, let's do that. Gotta gotta take care of uh yeah, whatever. It's it's all a bunch <laughs> of BS. It's just a bunch of crap. It that's what it is. It's and that's it's, it. it's but a there's, gutless. So there's- there's gutless, nothing on the line, way to do it. and there's nothing on the line as far as Paul Henderson as a citizen. Anything that he's 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 said politically incorrect off the ice. I mean, it's nothing of that. It's just no. It's, when he jumped, it. when he jumped to the WHA in '74, the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs was Jim Gregory. It was an incredibly acrimonious split, so much so 
And don't and Jim Gregory was working for Harold Ballard. So Harold Ballard is the second worst owner in the history of hockey, next to the guy we currently have here in Ottawa. So Ballard was, as everybody knows, was was a cartoon, became a cartoon character. You know, I think the guy was unbelievable in the game and for the game as he rose up through the ranks in junior hockey in the 20s and 30s and then eventually into into the pros decades later when he became part owner of the Leafs in 61 and then ultimately assuming exclusive control. But that split for Paul Henderson and Dave Keon was so acrimonious that when the Maple, when Maple Leaf Gardens closed, the second most famous hockey building in Canada, next to the Montreal Forum, when it closed in 99, those guys didn't even go back, and Ballard had been dead eight years. And they didn't even go back. Jim Gregory hates, hated Paul Henderson till the day he died is my contention. And Jim Gregory had one of the most senior positions at the Hockey Hall of Fame. And one of the most influential, even though I think he was only a voter for a short period of time. For decades, he hasn't been. But one of the most senior positions, that's number one. Number two. As it was told to me, Polly, and you're going to have a hard time believing this one, so I hope you're sitting down. I am. <laughs> because this is, this, is a, this is a tough one. You may want to pour your whiskey early. This is a tough one to digest. It was told to me to my face. Um, I started the campaign for Paul in 99-2000. I was on Hockey Night in Canada, February 6, 2000, and I had meetings with people all across uh, eastern Canada talking about different things to try and get Paul elected uh, for the for the um, Hall of Fame um, uh, induction for, for the calendar year 2000. And I was in Toronto taking a meeting with some people much older than me and, and who were active in the National Hockey League in different capacities in the 1970s. I was obviously a young boy at the time coming out of elementary school and going to high school in 1973 and, and just going about my business as a student. And the, the Summit Series in 72 had an indelible uh, mark on my soul and my my heart and my mind, and it always has, as it did everybody who was alive at that time. That said, what I was told that day in Toronto in March of 2000 blew me away, and I'm going to tell it to you right now. I was told that in 1976-77, Paul Henderson went public about becoming a born-again Christian and that he was renouncing alcohol and uh, he had quit smoking, which, of course, nobody would say is a bad thing. I mean, <clears throat> he, he not that he was, a, you know, a cart-in-a-day guy or anything, but he smoked and drank, and like all of us, uh, or many of us, uh, probably to some degrees of success, especially as a hockey player in those days, especially as a hockey player coming from, you know, Northern Ontario or the northern part of the uh, the province anyway, not not the far north, but uh, definitely in, you know, the Lucknow area of, uh, of Ontario. Having said that, I was told that he was labeled internally in hockey circles as weak and has a has a, a bad messenger and and sending a bad message of youth to to discover the Bible or discover Christianity or discover God and to state it publicly in 1976 was an absolute, allegedly, a black mark against him at that time. 
which carried the day. Keep in mind, he only played five more years, right? He retired in 81. So he was actually technically eligible for the Hall in 84. There was not even a sniff, not even a hint of, of him possibly being elected until 1997, um, eight years after Trechak went in. When Vaskolov Trechak was inducted in 89 with Daryl Sittler, many people, myself included, said, oh, okay. Well, they're putting in Vlad because we know the wall is coming down. And the Russian players are soon going to be in the NHL. This is what we were told. They needed to offer an olive branch to the Russian Ice Hockey Federation so that all of the transfers and they wouldn't uphold anything. And the, and the you know, the, the Krutovs and Larionovs and Makarovs and Fedosovs and Starnikovs and, and, and everything else that ends in OV that are about to come pouring into the National Hockey League. We're all going to do it under the blessing of the Russian Ice Hockey Federation. So to appease the whole situation, they said, let's put one of them in the hall. That'll make them happy. Well, who will we put in? Well, let's not put Harlamov. We need somebody who's alive. He tragically passed away in a car accident. We need somebody to be able to attend the ceremonies. How about Yakushev? You kidding me? Can't say two words English. He looks like someone shot his dog. Who else? Can't be Maltsev or Mikhailov. They're the dirtiest bastards ever to wear skates. We're not putting them in. Okay, well, let's grab Trechak. Everybody loves Trechak. That's what they did. So they grabbed Trechak. They put him in the hall. And Paul Henderson, allegedly, from becoming a born-again Christian in 76, going public with it, which nobody did at that time, from having the audacity to leave the Toronto Maple Leafs and Harold Ballard and Jim Gregory two years earlier in 74, and then the third and allegedly final strike and nail in his coffin for, for why he's been blackballed all these years is that there is a allegedly a widespread internal condemnation of him for essentially living off that one goal because it's been his life. It's, it's been his life, even though he never asked for it. He's never stood on a pulpit and, and said, hey, look at me. Look what I did. He's never, ever, ever, ever done that. But those three reasons are the ones that are cited more often than not over decades. And they've all come to my attention over the last two decades as for the reasons of his exclusion from the players category in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous because Paulie. The attributes to be inducted as a player in the Hockey Hall of Fame are as follows. Playing ability, sportsmanship, character, and contribution to your team and to the game of hockey in general. Playing ability. This is a man who played 17 years pro, over 1,000 games, over 700 points, won a Memorial Cup. The next year, he led the OHA in goals. Back-to-back Stanley Cup Finals. NHL All-Star Games. Number one left winger on two teams for six consecutive years and played on two Team Canada's, including the Summit Series in 72. Sportsmanship. He had one fight in his hockey career. One. Sportsmanship. He played the game as hard as anybody, and he only dropped the gloves in one one-on-one encounter. Character. Are you kidding me? This guy played in the 1960s when you had to have guts to put a sweater on. He played for Jack Adams. He played for Punch Imlach. If you don't have character, 
you don't make it out of the dressing room, let alone on the ice. Contributions to your team, as I just said, he was a number one left winger. I, 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 he, 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 was, he was right there with Gordie Howe on Detroit when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 66. He was right there with David Keon and, and, uh, and, and Ronnie Ellis on the Toronto Maple Leaf teams in the late 60s, con- contributing to his team and contributing to the game of hockey. <laughs> the Summit Series, the greatest series in the history of sports? Uh, come on. He meets the criteria with a capital C across the board. And yet this, this dour-faced, agenda-driven, myopic, gutless group sit there on their hands, you know, taking their forefinger and dribbling on their lips, waiting for their instructions as to which former East Block who's been retired for 6,000 years they're going to put in next. Another name that 98% of all hockey fans have never friggin' heard of. But don't put in Paul because somebody in, uh, in, in Idaho or in Newfoundland maybe don't remember him. Oh, better not put him in. Nobody knows him. Well, let me ask you something. So I'm listening to you. The Ballard, the Ballard issue. And, and I'm going to ask you this too. Chugging this shot right out of the bottle. <laughs> Got Joe fired up, buddy. <laughs> Let me ask you this. I feel like... <laughs> I, I'm I'm getting obviously Ballard had it in for him, and I guess if he as an owner, if he had a main influence on, um, you know, possibly keeping this guy out for you know whatever vendetta reasons, the uh, you know the uh, born again thing, whatever. But uh, I, I'm 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 thinking Ballard is probably the the main enigma here as far as this goes. And my question is is what kind of relationship did Ballard have with the Gretzky's? Ballard with the Gretzkys, um, virtually non-existent. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Wayne came in the NHL, 7980. Obviously, Harold was front and center in Toronto. Wayne was from Brantford, so there was always a huge contingent of Gretzky fans. Listen, I'll tell you right now, you talk to guys like Wendell Clark, um, some some of the Leafs that were around in the 80s, uh, they had a great relationship with Harold Ballard. You know, and I, I, I listen, I got no problem with Harold Ballard. Harold Ballard did us a solid back in 80, 82, 83. I was finishing up Seneca College in Toronto. We were working for uh, myself and Spider Jones and a man named Rob Ritchie. We were three students at Seneca College. We were trying to get into Maple Leaf Gardens, which we were allowed to periodically until that fateful day when we were in there. And, uh, Mike Nicoluk and Dan Maloney, they were the coaches in those years. And, and we were trying to get an interview with Dan Maloney. And, and we were with Spider Jones. And Spider Jones was like 37 at the time. He, he had gone back to, to, to school. So he's much older than us, 14, 13, 14 years older than we were at the time. And Harold Ballard came by and saw us waiting there. You can imagine what I looked like at that time. I looked like, you know, I, I was I was 20, 22, 23. I looked like I was 16. And and uh, Harold says, what are you guys doing? And uh then, then it's all oh, we're just, you know, we work for McLean Hunter TV. We're students at Seneca and we, we have a show called Sports Spectrum. We're just trying to get some interviews. And then he looked at Spider and he said, hey, you look familiar to me. And Spider said, yeah, yeah, I should be. I fought here at uh, on your uh, your cards on Friday nights, Friday night fights at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. And Harold said, what's your name? He said Spider Jones. He said, yeah, I remember you, man. You're a good fighter. And so they shook hands. And Harold talked to Spider for about two minutes, and he called Stan Abodiak, the late Stan Abodiak, over. And he said, Stan, Stanley, whatever these guys need, you make sure they get it. 
Wow. And we got we got an interview with uh, Dan Maloney that day. And you know where we taped every time we taped our intros and extras for our for the hits for our show for the rest of that year. We went right in where they taped Coach's Corner, where oh, wow. where Don Cherry and and uh, at that time Dave Hodge had just started Coach's Corner the year before. And they had a studio built right in Maple Leaf Gardens. And we went right in there, and I sat right on that desk, right where Graves did every Saturday night, all thanks to Harold Ballard. I'm not saying anything bad against Harold. No, and, you know? and Liam, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, that's not what I'm asking you. Um, uh, my, I'm trying to narrow down. Like I said, my you know, question was, is, that, what, what, is, is there something hidden, or is there something you know, uh, that's you know, keeping them out? And you brought up a, a couple of good points where you could sit back and say, okay, that kind of makes sense. But the only reason I was bringing a ballot, if, if he had that, if he really had it out or didn't like Paul Henderson, and if he had somewhat kind of uh, any major influence. Oh, or, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, you know, I mean, look, it's it's just, it's it's common. It happens, you know, whether it's business, whether it's sports, whether it's entertainment, whether it's any line of kind of business, you know, people have conflicts. People don't get along. People have uh, they've got it in for somebody, and I'm not saying necessarily that it maybe has an in for them or whatever. I don't know what the speculation could be, but what I'm trying to do is like we're all sitting here, and, and like I said, an average fan down here in North uh, in the states just sitting here going, well, "Why isn't this guy in?" And you know, you can you can hear uh, all the accolades, and he's obviously earned his his keep to get in there, and then understanding why Wayne maybe hasn't said anything, you know, through all these years, so on and so forth. So I was just trying to find maybe a pinpoint area where it might be that. Ballard might have had whether, like I said, you had a great relationship. I'm not looking to say anything bad about Harry Ballard, but I'm just saying maybe is he? Do you think he might be a significant influence to the fact that that why Henderson might not be in there if he had? Oh yeah, any kind yeah. Of power? He, he he was absolutely Harold. Harold always carried a lot of weight. You know, it's like talking about uh, uh, you know Mr. Wirtz in Chicago or uh, you know Mr. Jacobs in Boston and 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 some some of these senior owners in the league over the years you know they're carrying a lot of weight I mean the NHL is essentially run by the owners of the league the owners of the league turn around and hire a president or in this case now a man called the commissioner who works for the owners but they entrust him with the running of the league but at any time they can collectively step in and and uh, and do things and there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Harold Ballard would have made it uh, along with Jim Gregory, an absolute no-brainer that uh, that uh, that Paul would would never get in, and um, okay. and they 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 that was that was expanded to not only you know include those but other significant people in the hockey community. Some surprising, some not that have that have rallied, not rallied, but have have stated publicly that that Paul would, would never belong in the players category yet, you know, as, as you and I just discussed and you so, you know, succinctly, uh, um, you know, uh, substantiated the fact that you had no idea who Vaclav Nedimansky was when you heard the name last year. I mean, you could just see when the <laughs> announcement came out last year, I just pictured, uh, you know, 10 million hockey fans the world over saying at the same time, collectively, who, yeah. what, who, and and uh, you know it's it's not I I mean that shouldn't necessarily be the criteria I I don't think but then understand that that should not be something that that should hold up Paul either you know just because we're 
we're 50 years, not quite, but heading that very close to it, removed from that series and we're generations removed from it. I mean, you've even got Canadians who just look at it and say, all they do is go on HockeyDB.com and say, I don't know, geez, look at this NHL career. Didn't really do much. Why should it be in just for scoring one goal? They don't know anything about the series. They don't know anything about the impact. They don't. They don't know anything of what of what that did for the NHL. How things changed. It's uh, yeah. You know what? It's uh. I thought it, it merited uh, conversation today. I didn't mean for yeah. it to go down this uh, forty no, minute no, road. Look, but, I, uh, no, look. No, this is this is good. I mean, you know, you take a guy like all right. So I'm born in '69, and you know, by the time I get to really, you know. Understanding hockey, it's it's still you know as far as being a young fan or whatever, it's it's you know uh, as a kid, it's late seventies, you know. But you know, and you filled me in on this, and I'm very familiar with the the Summit Series and everything else. And and all you have to do is, especially from just even the Northeast here, as far as some of the players that were on that seventy two team that have you know guys like Clark and Esposito and stuff like that, you know, yeah. it's it's all they're all tied in together. You know, all those guys that played on those those Canadian teams, and, and, you know, this is, again, leading up to, obviously, the, the biggest thing in hockey for here in the States, obviously, 1980 and the Olympic Games. But most of us, you know, like I said, I sit here and scratch my head, and I'm not saying I'm a diehard guy that, you know, every, every year when the Hockey Hall of Fame announcements come out, at this point, my you know, it's like, all right, they're going to take care of it. The guys who put the points up and who earn it get in, and whoever they've selected that I don't know or I'm not familiar with, and I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, well, they must have had a reason to put him in or whatever. He's probably done something. I'm not necessarily going to sit here and spend the time to figure out, you know, who these guys are. But I'm familiar with Paul Henderson, obviously because of knowing you, and we've known each other for quite a few years now. Uh, but prior to that, you know, his name might have slipped off my radar as, as a younger guy um, only because I was so familiar with guys like Esposito and Clark. Uh, and the rest of the young guys that played on on that team back then, because the guys that were playing, you know, down here in New York and Northeast and all that other stuff. But what I was trying hey, the to be- get the here- best defenseman in that series was was a New York Ranger by far. So Brad Park. Oh yeah, well I mean that's that's what I'm saying. I mean you can go up and down that roster, and and it, there are all kinds of names that guys like I'm 50. I grew up with those guys at the you know when I was a kid, and and I'm familiar with all those names. Paul Henderson wouldn't have been somebody who wouldn't have jumped out at me, but he was definitely, no. if I'm looking at that roster and I'm saying, oh, who's this guy? Well, like I said, it's the best of the best at the time. So listening to this, bringing up this discussion again about him not getting in, and, and obviously Gretz and his comments yesterday, It's and a guy, I'm talking to the guy right now, you, who's devoted so much time and energy uh, to, to push for him to get into the hall, and I'm asking you, the guy, and why isn't he? Why is he not in? And yep. listening to especially the Ballard thing kind of stands out to me. And mm-hmm. usually, if there's you know, if the criteria is there, and he hasn't done any, he hasn't killed anybody or had a criminal record outside the rink. <laughs> and whether he's born again or not, that's his personal business. Still doesn't really affect anybody on a personal level, opinions or not. But it seems to me, and like I said, you know the power of of people in power and I'm I'm guessing that he's probably not in there because of Ballard and and the other guy you mentioned too I can't remember his name Gregory I think Jim Gregory yeah, yeah Jim so, Gregory so I'm listening to you and that's what I'm getting and then the only thing I was trying to figure out was why hasn't Wayne said anything all mm-hmm. these years and he's been out of the game 
for quite a long time. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, he hasn't coached in a while. <laughs> so he's he's had a lot of time before yesterday, you know, <laughs> to bring this up or to say anything publicly. So I'm sitting here trying to put all the pieces together and, you know, I'll get the newspapers on the wall here and I'm listening to you, and I'm, you know, doing all the stuff, you know, tying the strings together and putting the dots. But it comes to me, it comes back down to Ballard. And then, like I said, that's my other question is, if, why would Wayne be so quiet over the other, uh, all these other years, uh, through the years? And, and I guess my other question, too, is uh, on this, too, is and, and this will be our main discussion here today, Liam, is um, has guys like Espo and Clark, you know, rallied or railed for, for Henderson, or have they also been quiet throughout the years? No, well, uh, you know, there, there's there's a backstory there. Um, oh, so there's know, more to this now? <laughs> Yeah, well, now we got a yes player issue, teammate issue. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, Clark and Henderson played on the same line in '72, and and uh, and Clark uh, slashed Harlamov in Game Six, and and gave him an ankle injury, and uh, which uh, Harlamov sat out Game Seven, and the Soviets lost Game Six, and they lost Game Seven. He came back and played Game Eight, and and played played pretty good. I mean, he helped stake them to three leads, you know, they had three leads, but, uh, in, and he assisted one of the goals and did all the work on the other goal, one of the other goals. And, and nobody said a thing about it, but years later, it was, it's been one of the sort of the condemnations of, you know, either Canadian hockey and people cite the viciousness of the Clark slash or, or just Bobby Clark as a whole. And Paul, Paul being, <clears throat> the type of player he was at the time, as I said, he only had one one-on-one fight in his entire pro career, and, he, and I don't think he probably ever slashed anybody in his life. So he was asked about it about eight years ago, and and uh, and and said, "Look, it was uh, it was a it was a brutal play." Whatever he said, you know, he said he was looking at it from like 2012 eyes, and. It got back to Bobby, and you know, and Bob, and and then when it went public, Paul realized the optics of how bad it looked, and he he contacted Clark, and 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 they allegedly made you know mended that fence pretty quickly, but but Bobby hasn't stood in front of a bank of microphones or an interview and and said unequivocally that Paul should be in, nor has he said the reverse, but he hasn't necessarily championed some of the key guys. Espo did. Espo has said that uh, several times, and then in some recent interviews, allegedly, I, I didn't hear them, but people have told me that he recanted that thought. I don't know that to be true or not, but but um, and many others on the team feel he should be in, and uh, and have said some who are in the hall, and and others who are not, and uh, you know, so you got sort of a mixed bag there. From it's not every single player that all feel to be fair. That that all feel across the board that he should be in, but most do, and most of his peers on that team do, but not them all, and that should be noted for sure. Uh, having said that, I, I I don't know if that necessarily should be the criteria for inclusion, but uh, um, I think at the end of the day, it is what it is. I I personally don't think he'll ever get in. I think he's been blackballed, and I think it's a lifetime thing. And uh, some other people now, you know, there's been a lot of chatter about it uh, uh, on social media since since Wayne's comments went uh, sort of mini-viral there yesterday and are saying, ah, you know what, they're just going to do what they did with Pat Burns. They'll wait till Paul passes away, and they'll put him in the year after. 
you know, or two years after or something. And and I, I suppose that that could potentially be. I mean, Paul's been fighting leukemia for a decade. I mean, he was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia in 2010. Uh, and it was so bad and had spread so much that I was told by his representatives that he would not see Christmas of 2012. Wow. And that was in February or March of 2012. And they said, Liam, make your goodbyes. And I had some conversations with him, several, and he told me that uh, he had nothing to lose. He was going to uh, try these experimental drugs, and they flew him out. Of, they flew him down to the states for this. These were drugs that were not at that time available for any for this type of leukemia. And uh, lo and behold, didn't they work? You know, and his tumors shrunk from golf, size of golf golf balls and grapefruits down to the size of a pea, and then through various other medication and treatments and and whatnot here he is a decade later and yeah he has his he has to maintain a, a fairly rigid diet and regiment of exercise I mean he looks I think he looks absolutely fantastic still to this day but there's no doubt about it it's it's an ongoing definitely life-threatening situation that he's been dealing with for a decade and, you know, and not only that, Paulie, but aside from just the, you know, the, the, the haters who just absolutely can't see past the end of their nose and can't can't see the value of the goal and, and just look at his NHL career such as it is, because he had a, a lengthy, you know, lengthy stay in the WHA where he had some pretty good numbers there, too. That combined is what leads to his overall totals. But here's a man and his wife who have counseled thousands upon thousands of couples and and uh you know going through tough times um marriage is the toughest job you'll ever have for the most part for just about anybody who's married it's a very very tough thing to do whether you bring children into the world or not man it's a tough tough goal at some point it's going to be tough and and people break up i did and i still regret it and uh it still upsets me and and you know as as liz and i my ex were going through that and the throes of it all and just didn't really come to pass and I if I could have thought I could have convinced Liz to go Paul invited us you know Liz and I to come to one of the retreats to see if there was anything he could do to help save my marriage I mean on top of everything else what he means to me as a, as a man as, as a hockey player what he did for me as a young boy 13 years of age watching that series watching that goal this guy stepped in and and was trying to make a concerted effort to see if him and Eleanor could do something to try and save my marriage I mean yeah, you're, you're you're talking about a man who's cut from a different cloth here altogether. He's totally at peace. He doesn't. Again, another guy does doesn't go around saying I should be in, I should be in. He's quite at peace with whatever the world brings him because he knows he's he's been living to some degree on borrowed time with the leukemia. But uh, when you look at the big picture, and if people can't see, they're unwilling to do any homework to get an idea of what that series and the comeback. And the impact it had on the sport and to think what he did in those last three games doesn't warrant inclusion into that sports hall of fame, not hall of statistics, but hall of fame. And I, I read you the criteria to think he, he doesn't warrant induction is is uh, is is so ignorant that, uh, you know, it's why I don't get into arguments with it anymore. I'll, I'll discuss it and get emotional about it talking to you here. I'm sitting here at home alone with this bottle of whiskey in front of me and just uh, watching the rain come down in the midst of a global pandemic. 
but I'm not going to the bars anymore or doing any more ranting and raving one-on-one or writing any more blogs or am I putting in any more submissions? I'm all done. Yeah. I did it for 20 years. I'm all done. And, and I know he's never going to get in. And, you know, he's at peace with that. I'm at peace with that as a fan. His fans, anyone listening, should be at peace with it as well. Everything's been tried. And we just uh, get on with our lives as he would want, as he wants us to. And uh, and we just hopefully stay safe, come out of this, get some hockey going. And they'll put somebody in this year. They already <laughs> said that. Their meeting, as per usual, they'll do it via Zoom or whatever, obviously. It won't be face-to-face uh, like it normally is in Toronto in uh, in late June. The 18 members of the selection committee will do their voting uh, online this year, and they will pick X number of candidates. And maybe Theo Fleury makes it this year. Maybe Steve Larmer makes it this year. I mean, again, Liz a lock. He's going in for sure. And I don't know if there's any women going in this year or not, <clears throat> but I can guarantee you who's not going in, and that'll be Paul Henderson. And I can guarantee you, just about guarantee you, that there will be definitely at least one other European or former East Block player, mark my words, will probably go in again this year because that's the politically correct thing to do. That's what they do is they hold each other's hands and and uh, and sway around the room singing, the, singing their praises of all things uh, across the ocean are the greatest uh, for hockey. So they're going to acknowledge that in the Hall of Fame. That's that's the way they work. Oh, you're going sour on me there. Like, <laughs> hey, look, I man. almost held it together. <laughs> I was doing so well. I'm going to jump in here and save you, man. <laughs> yeah, good thing. <laughs> hey, look, man. There are thousands of uh, our favorite players that – that didn't get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Did you hear that, by the way? The, the thing is, is that, <laughs> look, man, you know, everybody, Paul Henderson knows, and you know what he's done for you and, and, and the magic of that whole series and, and the memories and, and everything else. So that, that above all uh, transcends uh, being inducted to any kind of uh, institution. Uh, never take it away. Exactly. They'll never take exactly. it away. I mean, look, two of my favorite Rangers, Eddie Johnstone and Jan Eriksson, aren't getting into hockey. They never got in, but I love them just the same, man. Those, those guys, I have great memories watching those guys. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, I loved watching Eddie play too. He was an uh, exciting little hockey Eddie's, player, man. Uh, the best is, uh, I'd love to. We got to talk about it down the road, but uh, just Eddie, the way Eddie used to twitch on the side of the bench, he had that face. Yeah, <laughs> Walker Chuck, he, he baby, another my he favorite. Like George McPhee a little bit, eh? What's that? He was a little bit like George McPhee. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, forget about it, man. Cal Van Day, you know, another guy I loved as a kid. Where's, where's Tim Bothwell? Where's Carol Tim Bothwell? Carol Van Day led the NHL in fighting majors. I know. Oh, man. Tim Bothwell. Where's Tim Bothwell, <laughs> Tim Bothwell. <laughs> yeah, hey, listen, he's got some uh, he's got some interesting hockey connections. And Carol Vadney led the NHL in fighting majors in 1970. And then Stanley Cup winner uh, with the Habs and with the Bruins. And, and uh you know, I used to see him every summer, right? God rest his soul. He passed away a few years ago. Carol Vadney was at Yvonne Cornoyer's golf tournament every summer in uh, in Blainville at a course called at Fontainebleau. And Carol was always there on one of the holes smoking his big stogie. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, he was in great shape right up until he got sick with cancer. He was in outstanding shape. And we would uh, we would finish that event. And, oh, my God, the uh, 
the, the it was so amazing. We'd we'd go outside after on the what they call the terras, the patio, and they'd have a they'd have a couple of musicians out there. Boy, you would have loved this. And they they'd have a, a couple of people out there playing a little bit of uh light background French Canadian music, and everybody would be having an after dinner drink and and you know something other than your normal. You know they 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 if you wanted a beer you could get a beer. But a lot of the guys were having Grand Marnier or some cognac and or some really nice whiskey or some nice scotches. And everybody would go out. Everybody. And I'd be sitting there with Guy Lafleur and Yvonne Cornoyer and Dickie Moore and Jean Beliveau and Carol Vadney and Guy Lapointe, Jacques Lemaire and Pierre Bouchard, Ray Jean right, Stop rubbing it in. You get me sour. <laughs> And Carol Vadney, and then a smaller group of us would always go back to Yvonne's house, which was like two minutes away. And we'd go back over there, and Carol always came, and Yvonne's son would be our bartender. And we'd sit there in their in their sort of kitchenette area, and we'd talk about hockey. I don't know. And- you know what? I don't know if we can do this every week anymore. You're making me sick. <laughs> the pe- the guys that you hung out with and had a few pops with is just it's just you know now I'm getting a little sour now. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, Superman. Well. That is Superman. You know, maybe for a laugh one day we'll get here, and I will just run all. I'll just throw out all the names from the uh, 78, 79 Rangers, man. You know, Mario Mara. Sure. Uh, Mike McEwen, <laughs> just run it all down there. Mario <laughs> Merwa, I had beers with him in uh, in 2010 in Saskatoon in the World Junior uh, Championships, and I Jesus. talked to him about his altercation with Gordie Howe in 1980. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, you throw the names at me, buddy, and I'll give you a story. We'll do that sometime. <laughs> Steve Baker. Steve Baker is one I don't have. Backed up JD, nothing. baby. <laughs> I got nothing on Steve. I yeah. got nothing. I've never met the man, but uh, yeah, he was uh, a goaltender, eh? He yes, he was. I know. He didn't, there for a didn't few break years. any records, right? <laughs> didn't break any records. Didn't, uh, but you know, did his bit. Did his he bit a, he there. Had a cool but, mask. Yeah, cool yeah, mask. yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I never met him. I don't have anything on him, unfortunately. But uh, I gotcha. You know, we'll Find try that sometime. We'll throw some names out. See what comes up. Good stuff, man. Hey, love it, man. Uh, we'll leave it there with uh, Paul Henderson, yeah. and, and we'll let that mystery uh, continue to unfold for as long as it takes. And and Godspeed to him, and, and may he stay uh, healthy and, and happy here going forward. And, and like I said, uh, what I was going to say earlier, too, is, like I said, you have a special relationship with him, and that's all that matters. And that, and that's the main thing. I and, do. And, I and, do. He's, and, he's like an uncle to me. I love him. And, uh, you know, we're spiritually connected. Uh uh, I wrote this in my books. The first time I ever met him, Paulie, on national TV. I've told the story many times. Coast to coast in Canada, Monday night, December 4th, 1995. I shook his hand for the first time in my life at 9.31 p.m. on CBC TV. And I thanked him for what he did for our country at that time, 23 years earlier. And that's the exact minute that my dad passed away. The wow. exact minute that I shook Paul's hand for the first time. So we're we're spiritually connected. And... I believe that in my heart, and and it's uh, from that moment, that September Thursday afternoon in '72, to meeting him that first time, to all the times we've been together since, and he'll he'll phone me up sometimes out of the blue, you know, and just ask me how I'm doing, and then he'll say a prayer, on the phone with me for me, and and my family, out wow. of the blue, wow, out of the blue, you know, so yeah. I, I will always have that. You're right. Uh, nothing can be taken away, and nor nor 
can the memory of of that series and 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 his exploits in it ever be taken away either? So you know what, Hall of Fame selection committee, the Hall of Fame in general, and people are going to bang their head against the wall here in in a, in a, in two months' time when the names come out, whether you know them or not. There'll be disagreements and arguments and everything else. You know what? I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. It's it's you've you've made a mockery of it. And and the last two years in particular with Yakushev and Nedimansky. And look, this is just Liam McGuire talking. I'm not saying they weren't great hockey players in their day. They were. But if you're telling me what they did in their careers merits inclusion before Paul Henderson, then I, I fundamentally, strongly disagree with that. And probably best to leave it there because you've already heard uh, I, I can come close to absolutely snapping. Imagine 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, man, here's to here's to uh, Paul Henderson and your relationship with him and also that great memory of uh, your dad as well, too. So that's my, uh, that's my toast there. All right, mate, look, great stuff. We'll leave it there with Paul Henderson today, and let's wrap up the show like we always do with our uh, traditional Irish classic music song, and we're going to do another Clancy's Brothers. That's the rumor I heard from uh, Human yeah. Resources. Uh, they sent it down. That's a possibility of another Clancy Brothers song here. So, Liam... What do we got today? Well, as you know, Paulie, I said it last week, we finished with three. So this is the second of the three. And next week, uh, we'll finish with the parting glass, which will be appropriate way to uh, sort of put a little bit of a cease and desist order on all the Clancy Brothers. And for <laughs> my dear friend uh, through uh, social media, Liam Burke and others, we'll, we'll bring out some other, uh, some other fine Irish artists. But this song here was originally an Irish ballad called The Wearing of the Green at least the tune of it was, and it was first published um, uh, by by a man. I, he was regarded as a Fenian poet, so I guess it kind of gives you the temperature of the song. And uh, his name was John Keegan Casey, and he was uh, a tremendous uh, a, a lyricist and and poet in the mid eighteen hundreds. And he he wrote uh, the poem, if you will. Uh, based on the failed uprisings of 1798, specifically in uh, County Longford. And it now is a song that's called By the Rising of the Moon. And when you hear the verse, the pikes must be together at the rising of the moon, as the Clancy Brothers in seconds here are about to sing for us, uh, the pike being the weapon of choice and what was available to you at that time in the late 1700s and it's a song that's been recorded by many Irish artists but most notably the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem and it's a uh, it's it's a famous tune and it, it does refer to the outbreak of the 1798 rebellion as the United Irish Rebels uh, took to the cause uh, with an air of hope and optimism but uh, of course it was a doomed rebellion as they all were but the inspiration from the song was that, don't worry, more will follow to take the field and continue the venture of trying to unify the country. And this song exemplifies some of that. It's got a fantastic, um, I think, um, a lyric to it. You as a musician, I'm sure, have heard it many times. Whether you've ever sung it or not, I don't know. But it's, uh, but it's got a, a great beat to it. It's one that stirs the blood, definitely, in me. As it did my late father, and I'll finish on this, Polly, that the first time we went to Ireland in 1968, I was a young boy, nine years old, and 
Um, a number of my father's older relatives were still alive, including an uncle of his named Tom McGuire, who also partook in the rebellion in 1916 in Dublin. He was in one of the uh, one of the escapades there, of course, not a leader, so he wasn't executed. And we had to go visit him in County Westmeath. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's more or less sort of located in uh, what you would regard as almost central Ireland. It's about 40 miles maybe west of Dublin. Beautiful, beautiful countryside. And Tom lived on this old farm. And I was a nine-year-old boy, the oldest of three. And and he had these old fishing rods. And he said, uh, you boys fish? And we said, yes, yes, we do, Uncle Tom, we do. He said, okay, come on. And, and, and he was a big man. He was about six foot two. And, and we walked with him and he seemed like a giant. And we walked in through the back fields and in towards the back fords, this little stream. And he was whistling this song by the rising of the moon. I'd never heard it before that I had any memory of anyway at that time. And, and I never knew what it was until I listened myself to the Clancy brother records as I got older and the very first time I heard it, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, this was the song that Uncle Tom was whistling when we walked back to the to the little stream in Westmeath in 1968. And boy, oh boy, did my dad get a smile on his face. <laughs> he just absolutely loved that. And every time I hear it today, Polly, I think of Uncle Tom and I think of uh, those men from 1798 my Uncle Tom and what he did in 1916 and the great country of Ireland, such as it is in 2020. And it's a beautiful way to go out by the rising of the moon. Great stuff here. And uh, I love the fact uh, one of the most soothing sounds for me, especially uh, featured in Irish music, is the Irish whistle. And this yep. is a great song for that as well, too. But uh, uh, looking forward to uh, hearing this one again here, Liam. Thank you so much, as always. And thanks to everybody who's listening. Stay safe and healthy out there, and thank you so much for supporting us here and listening for Sticks and Taps. Salon to everyone, and Liam, go on, say goodbye to the folks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate you if you made it through all those rants. <laughs> Up the Republic. Have a good one. G'day. Oh, then tell me, Sean O'Farrell, tell me why you hurry so. Hush me, Buckle, hush and listen, and his cheeks were all aglow. I bear orders from the captain, get you ready quick and soon. For the pikes must be together by the rising of the moon. By the rising of the moon, by the rising of the moon. For the pikes must be together by the rising of the moon. Oh, then tell me, Sean O'Farrell, where the gathering is to be. In the old spot by the river, right well known to you and me. One word more for signal token, whistle up the marching tune. With your pike upon your shoulder by the rising of the moon. By the rising of the moon, by the rising of the moon. With your pike upon your shoulder by the rising of the moon. Out of many a mud wall cabin, eyes were watching through the night. Many a manly heart was throbbing for the coming morning light. 
Murmurs ran along the valleys like the banshee's lonely croon. And a thousand pikes were flashing by the rising of the moon. By the rising of the moon. By the rising of the moon. And a thousand pikes were flashing by the rising of the moon. There beside the singing river that dark mass of men was seen. Far above their shining weapons hung their own beloved green. Dead to every foe and traitor, forward strike the marching tune. And a army buys for freedom, says the rising of the moon. 